Hello and welcome to Stories, the True and the Fictional. As you can tell from the slightly different style of music, this is going to be a slightly different style of episode. It's something we call Story Chat, where we sit down with an author, a filmmaker or any kind of storyteller really, and talk to them about their life and their work in a real fun and laid back way. So sit back, relax, unless you're going for a jog, then run faster. It's story time. Hello guys and welcome to another episode of Stories, the True and the Fictional. Today we have an exciting guest returning, but before I tell you who it is, as always, always. this episode is brought to you by Rebecca Castles and the Rising Dawn series. Check it out on Amazon if paranormal romance with werewolves is your thing uh check it out she is a fan of the show supporter of the show and definitely check out her work but today as promised jack roney returns how are you mate yeah good jamie g'day ron good to see you guys again yeah you too mate it's been it's been a while but now now our viewers can see that we do fulfill our promises and we don't just say let's get you back on when you bring the next book out we generally do <laughs> want to get you back on when you have some yeah. a, a new book which is obviously yeah. why we've got we've got you here today. But we'll get yeah. to that. As you are a returning guest, you have icebreakers for our returning guests. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how many times we're going to do this. Like, if you become a super regular, I'm, I don't think we're going to come up <laughs> with an endless amount of questions because it, it, it is a bit hard hard work. But um, we have some new ones for you. So if you're ready, Ryan, do you want to like take It was like I had homework. This was... Um... <laughs> well, you're the third person. You're the third, third returning guest author so you're the third you're only the third person to get these second questions that jamie has dreamed up so i had to do a lot of research because i actually found some of these questions quite challenging so um i've got some answers prepared so we'll we'll see how we go i like it all right well we'll crack into the first one so this is a nice easy one um so when you're a kid and and you don't have to say author if that's the case obviously but when you were a kid what did you want to be when you grew up it might sound really corny, but um, when I was a teenager, for for some reason, I just had it in my head. I wanted to be a police officer. I, I had I didn't know any police. I had no one in the family. I didn't have any police connections at all. I remember um, I grew up in the town of Toowoomba, the Queensland town of Toowoomba, west of Brisbane. I remember this one day I was walking down Ruthven Street, which is any any of the locals from Toowoomba will know Ruthven Street. I was walking down Ruthven Street. I was probably would have been about 16, I think, and I still remember it like it was yesterday. I saw a police car just driving past and pull up at, at the lights. And I stood there and there was a police policeman and a police woman sitting in the car. And I looked at them and said, that's what I want to do. And uh, and I don't know why. Um, and uh, anyway, I was very one of the very lucky few that I, um, after I finished grade 12, I applied for the police academy and, and I was accepted. Uh, only in those days, only uh, a, a very small handful of people were selected straight out of high school to go to the police academy. And I was one of those. And um yeah so fast track 18 months 18 months later after finishing grade 12 as an 18 and a half year old I was a sworn in police officer so uh, I was very lucky that was my dream job and and I I did that career for 34 years which I've only recently left but I I was really lucky that my dream job I I was able to do wow just just like that (laughs) yeah you're probably the one of the the few people that say yeah that's what I wanted to do when I was younger and so I actually went out and did it so you know, kudos to that. And obviously, as you said, you've had up until, you know, just recently, a long distinguished 34-year career uh, with the police force. So, 
you know, that's I've, a, I've that's, that. That's a bit of a step up since our uh, last guest. He said he wanted to be Wolverine when he grew up. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I get the kids. Like I, I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. And um, I, I get the kids now. It's hard, you know, to make that life decision. And back, yeah. I suppose, back in those days, it was about choose a career, and that's the career you stick with. And and yeah. we're very much. It was indoctrinated into us, you know. It's like joining the priesthood. It was a vocation. You, you join, yeah, and that's yeah. you're locked in. You're locked in forever until you you, you retire. Um, yep. And it wasn't until many many years later I even started questioning what would life be like on the outside, and mm. you know, then ultimately led me to making the, the decision to leave to pursue other other interests in life. Yeah. And and that must be a very hard thing to do because it's not like uh, you know just like someone like me who works in customer service and you know it's very easy to sort of step out of that and go okay I want to do something different but you know obviously being a police officer for so long it, it would be very hard to all of a sudden go for you know I'm not going to do that anymore you know you've been doing something that is is a very very hard and very, you know, can be sometimes very frustrating, very emotional, very rewarding career. And to just, you know, to go, okay, look, I've, I've had enough. Um, I want to pursue a different route. So it must have, how, how have you found sort of, a, I know you, last time we spoke, you were on a bit of a, a bit of leave in relation to the book. How, how does it feel now to officially be a civilian, so to speak? Yeah, I had mixed feelings about it. You know, I was I was sad. I was I was sad. I, I think I miss more the the idea of being a policeman than I actually miss being a policeman. You know, the romantic mm-hmm. notion of being part of the family yeah. of blue, and and I guess you, you'll always be part of that family. But yeah, because you really get um and really caught up in the whole culture of of the organisation, the police family, and and you can't just get up and walk away. You yeah. are. Yeah. It, it defines who you are. Um, it's not just a job. It really does define who you are. And, and so it is hard to really make that decision to walk away. Um, but ultimately, I decided, look, I, I either hang around for a few more years um, and just retire or I get out now. I'm a little bit sort of young enough to to have a crack at doing some other things. And um, my goals are to focus more on my writing as a full time career um, post my police career. But, yeah, no, it was definitely it was mixed feelings. But now that I've made the decision, I, I made the decision for my my own reasons. And, and I feel very um, comfortable with the decision that I've made. And and it's quite exciting to to just kind of have the freedom now to discover what's what's next around the corner. Uh, that's, 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 as I said, yeah, it's, it's so Jamie's we can just walk away. <laughs> we just be like, yeah, no worries. But, you know, the the this police police officer, you know, it's something obviously you you, you try hard to separate your personal life from the job but that would be one of the hardest jobs to to mm. do so mm. now you can move on to a different chapter of your life and and you yeah. know with the success of, of of the books you know sort of pursue another dream you know what i mean yeah exactly yeah. excellent now this next question i'm going to tweak it a little bit and, and and take you back to let's say you're in the prime of your um police career and your your boss comes in and says, "Hey Jack, we've got this uh, new sidekick for you. It's an animal and it talks. Uh, what 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 animal sidekick talking animal sidekick would you want with you on your day to day job?" Yeah, well, that's a different context. I, I was kind of thinking <laughs> if, if I could have a, a, a talking sidekick, you know, what sort of animal would it be? Well, you can probably see I'll just tilt my camera a little bit. Yep. My 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 Labrador Louis. So yep. oh, yeah. Now he he I've got two dogs. I've got Louie and my other dog is actually at my feet. I'll see if I can get him for you. So th- this is Freddie. Oh, oh. Man. oh 
this is um, he's very black. He can't, <laughs> can't sort of. So this is Freddie, my my spoodle. He's very cute. He's a, he's a year old. So I've often said, if, we often joke about what what would these two dogs sound like if they could talk. And mm-hmm. these are the two I chose. If I could have a talking sidekick, I'd have both of these dogs. So right. I reckon Louis, Louis the Labrador would be have a real dopey kind of hey fellas. Sort of character. Yeah. Whereas Freddie would probably sound like a chipmunk. He'd be high pitched and you know like a little kid. <laughs> so we've often because they're, they're, they're so they're so full of expression and they just look at you and you and you you, yeah. you sort of say, I wish I could read your mind. I wish you could talk to me. And we've often joked at home about what would these two dogs sound like? So if I had a talking animal sidekick, I reckon I'd pick both of those characters and they'd be so vastly different. Yeah. Oh, I think that's a very uh, their dog and have, uh, would you, would you, um, obviously being, being a police officer, they would be full, fully in uniform, fully trained and, you know, not, I, I can see if they're talking, they're not going to be part of the canine unit. They're going to be, they're going to be official partners. So yeah, they could be sniffer dogs. I reckon they could, they could do that job. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Next question is, um, you are king, queen, supreme leader, president for a day. What's the first thing you do? Uh, this was so hard. And, and I, to be honest, I haven't really come up with a real good answer because <laughs> I thought of, oh, what's something lighthearted and fun? Yeah, let's I'll do yeah. it an opera, opera, opera Winfrey. And so you get a car, you get a car, you get a holiday. <laughs> and you know, just give, give everyone something for free for the day or give them another public holiday. But I think here in Australia, we're pretty, pretty lucky. We don't need to hand out too many more freebies. Um, mm. And look, I think if you were a, the prime minister or president or king, you can't keep everyone happy. You can make a decision to do something thinking that you're keeping some people happy. No matter what decision you make, you're always going to have someone on the other side that's going to be unhappy. Yeah. So I don't know. I started, um, if I can be a little bit more serious for a minute, and I, I have to be careful that I don't share too many of my, my own personal views too much in this sort of, <laughs> yeah. this sort of thing. But yeah. I'm thinking, all right, if I had the power of a, a world leader what would i do and, and i suppose the thing that troubles me the most at the moment in the world is what's happening over in ukraine and yep. what could yeah. i do as a world leader to stop the the really in my view it's a it's a, a crime against humanity what's happening in ukraine what would the yeah. russian regime are doing to the ukrainian people and what would you do and i don't know if there was some way to somehow take out that putin regime i would do it uh, whether it's a case of getting some sort of elite squad to go in there and take them all into custody and remove that regime, because I think yeah. um, until such time as that regime is stood down, we're going to continue to see um, genocide and, and crimes against yeah. humanity over there. And it's affecting the world. No, no one is untouched no. by what's going on over there at the moment. So yeah. that for me is probably the big thing that really every day it troubles me. I look at the news, what's going, going on over there. And um, yeah, so I, I don't want to sort of take this into, into a, a dark, dark phase, but really it is. It, it, I think we're going on with our lives and, all the, all the trivial trivial stuff in our life but you think about what you know the hardships that those those poor people are coming into winter and they don't, don't even have electricity because the civilian population is being bombed yeah. uh, it's just yeah. it's just very sad what's happening so if i had the power to make that stop i would but i know the world leaders currently are doing the best to try and you know resolve this problem but it's such a tricky thing so i don't know that that's probably a more complex answer than what you're looking for but um I don't know if you had the power of a world leader, what would you do? That's a really tricky one to answer. Yeah, yeah, and I think, frankly, I think you've made a good decision because we haven't got enough public holidays at the moment. You know, I'd much rather <laughs> see the end of that conflict than have another day off. I know well, that's probably, a very un-Australian thing to say, but <laughs> I'll go that way. We're going to have a king's birthday holiday yeah. now. I don't know if the exactly. So no, no, that's a solid answer. I reckon that's a, a that's a responsible, well-respectful um, answer. Yeah. That's a grown-up answer. 
I, I, I would just mandate that all truck drivers honk their horns when someone does this. Because I've been I've been doing this since I was a kid, and hardly anyone does it. You know? <laughs> and the disappointment of a child. Well, at least at least mandate it for a child, you know. <laughs> I was going to say they probably get scared seeing an almost forty year old man standing on the side of the road going. <laughs> Yeah. And they don't know quite know whether should they should that mean something or yeah. <laughs> no. Is that the new hitchhiking symbol? Um, <laughs> no. Um, all right. Next one. Now this now this one's probably a more thoughtful one. But um, what book or story would you like to see adapted to film? And uh, bonus points for picking your cast and director. All right. Now I did do some research on this one. Now, Jamie, you might have heard of there's there's this book um, written by an esteemed author and his partner, J.A. Bryden and Chris Park, called The Letters from the Emu Boy. Now, that would be a cracker, I reckon, if that was if that was a movie. You should you should check it out if you haven't heard of it. Um, I actually when you when you when you um when you do some research and I actually discovered on YouTube there is actually a short film that was filmed. I don't know if you've heard of it, 1932, The Great Emu War. It's a bit of yeah. a satirical um tongue-in-cheek kind of comedy sort of thing along the along the lines of of letters from the emu board same sort of style of kind of thing and, and I, I also see i did apparently in 2019 did you know that there was a, a musical adapt adaption that was um workshopped in melbourne by playwright simeon yula yogalu and composer james court i did didn't know, know about i didn't know about that one and further to that there's also a movie retelling of events written by john cleese yeah, we and knew Monty about Franklin and Rob Schneider is slated for a release in 2022. <laughs> so I don't know if that ever happened or is yeah. going to happen. Well, yeah. Um, well, but to answer my to finish answering, I did actually. Yeah. Sorry, Kigo. No, well, it's it's funny you say that because I knew about the movie and I actually got in touch with John Cleese's PA and I sent him a copy of my book. Oh, uh, really? I, yeah, but I haven't no, I haven't heard back for anything. <laughs> even even if he's thrown it in the bin, I can say that John Cleese has held my book and <laughs> you know it's John Cleese. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and do you know whether that film ever went into production or not? Well, I think it got set back because of uh, COVID and all that, all that. But it, cause they're going to film it in um, uh, Australia. So, uh, right, yeah. yeah. Well, and then to answer the question around director, I, there there is a director, Glendon Ivan, hmm? um, who directed the Gallipoli miniseries in 2014. So that was oh, yeah. impressive. So I did some research on uh, well-known Australian directors and he was one. And then I reckon Eric Banner would be a great lead character in the letters from the EMU war. Oh yeah. He, he would be my pick for a lead character. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I love that answer. And so does my friend, so does my friend, Chris Park. Uh, <laughs> I did not, I did not expect that, but um, I actually did. I, before I wrote the book, I actually wrote a screenplay for it and it almost got made once upon a time, but um, everything fell through. Um, sadly, because they say only one percent of screenplays get made. So, yeah. <laughs> well, if you, who knows it? Who knows it might someone might maybe someone might hear this podcast and they might pick up mm. on the idea. Yes, John Cleese might be listening as we speak. <laughs> he might be. There you go. All right. Keeping with our theme of our last question from the first round. Uh, so Elon did his time machine that you borrowed about a year ago, and has put you in charge of organising a dinner party of historical figures. Who do you put on your guest list? And I like to say maybe, say, five maximum? Oh, okay. well, I've got more than five, but I'll quickly That's run five, through the names. Now, 
I, I didn't want to be sexist. So I just come up with who are the funniest people I can think of and a whole <laughs> bunch of comedians. And I just thought if you put them all in one room, so it wasn't intentional to exclude females, but I just, the, the names that came to mind were, were, were male. So if you could put Benny Hill, Robin Williams, Paul Hogan, Jim Carrey, Graham Kennedy, Chris Rock, Will Ferrell, <laughs> Steve Martin, Eddie Murphy, Steve Carell, Mike Myers, John Cleese, and Jerry Seinfeld. If you could put all those people in the, in wow. the same room, that would be one hell of a conversation. Um, now, would you get them at their prime, at their like career prime? Yes. Yeah, yeah they'd all have to be at their um, career prime. Now, I'm worried that, that this would actually cancel out the funniness. Like, you know, when you get too much funny in one room at one time, would it cancel? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think when you've got, you got funny people together, sometimes it's just they're pretty boring. So I don't know. It'd be interesting just to be a fly on the wall. Yeah. You know, if, it ever, if it gets to the stage where it's just there's too many birds that might listen them up. Any hill there, you can always just play the theme and just have a couple of birds <laughs> run in and he'll just around and that'll lighten the party up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I, I, I look, that would be a dinner party I'd like to go to. There's quite a few of my favourite actors in there. So mm-hmm. as long as you, you said Chris Rock and not Will Smith, which is I want a re, <laughs> reappearance of what has to happen. To maybe, we just, maybe just have them two together. <laughs> get, get, get them to hash it out. You know? Yeah, I think, that, I think they've kissed a made up, haven't they? I think uh, officially in front of the cameras, I think they have, but I go, you know, I think there's probably still a little bit of bad blood, you know, maybe we can get them to settle it in the ring one day, but we'll just have yeah. to see. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for answering those, but now we're going to talk about your book. Mm-hmm. I got a copy. <laughs> uh, cool. I've got a copy here. Just, I just so happen to have one. Brian, where's yours? <laughs> Oh, mine, mine's on the bookshelf, so I'm in the office at the moment, so I apologise. But I was one of the first – I actually pre-ordered it, and I got my copy quite a while. And I've also a digital edition on my iPad, so I have bought it twice. Well, thanks very much. My, my <laughs> so size doubled. I like to have a copy for my digital library and then obviously for the bookshelf as well. So Yeah. Well, thanks for your like. support. I appreciate it. That's all right. Now, 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 that, now that I have a job, I intend to, to buy more – do the Ryan thing, like <laughs> essentially buy everyone, anyone who comes on, I want to buy their book and stick it on yeah. my shelf. So um, that's what I have. I have an area of, of people that we've interviewed. So when people come <laughs> oh. to the house, I'm like, yes, here's my shelf of books, it's, you know, of my interviews. <laughs> I've actually got, a, it's out of camera view now, but beside my desk here, I've actually got another bookshelf of all the books I've gathered through fellow authors, people that yeah. I've, I've met and we've exchanged books. I've probably got about 20 books there. And these, some of them I read and some, some of them I need to. I've got another big, big bookshelf full of like the James Pattersons and, and all those sort yeah. of commercially uh, famous yeah. authors. But yeah, all these, all these local authors I've met um, recently, all, all Australian authors, I've got all their books. So I think that's the one thing we can do to, to support each other is, is read each other's books and, and, oh, yeah review each other, each other definitely definitely 100 now with uh with this brand new book of yours uh i just i've got one little question um stranger things much <laughs> <laughs> yeah so as you can see from the, the, the cover book oh, i'm having trouble um for me the the, the main um this one's actually a gloss i've got two editions one's a gloss cover it tends to re- reflect the light a little bit more one's a matte cover yep. um 
But the themes were the, the Blood Moon, the old steam train, and the three boys on an adventure were the three kind of key themes. You can see the, the mm-hmm. bats are flying above the moon. Yep. And then also I wanted the, the font of the um the title to look like or to resemble that kind of Stranger Things yeah. kind of theme. Because it's it's very similar to Stranger Things, where the first part of the book is based in 1982. So it's got that real 80s kind of feel to it. Mm. Uh, coming of age, boys on an adventure, similar to um, what's that so the story, um, Stand By Me, that based yep. on a Stephen King yep. novel. I wanted that kind of yeah 1980s kind of feel to it, so that's how that you know the the, the book cover it needed to feature those key themes. Plus, I wanted the title to have that, and the fact the publisher said to me, "Next time, can you have a shorter title, please?" It was an absolute pain trying to <laughs> trying to fit the ghost. <laughs> so I copped a bit of a slap for having um having too long of a title. I, I don't know. I think it's perfect length. Um, but um, yeah, before we dive, like dive in, do you just want to give us a, an overall plot? What's it about? And then we can, you know, nitpick and ask you all the little, little, little questions. So it, it's a historical mystery with twisted time travel. So as I said, it's it's probably a combination of uh, Stand By Me that's based on a Stephen yep. King book. There's a really famous movie called Stand By Me, Coming of Age, uh, and the butterfly effects combination Ooh. of two. And, with a, and probably with a bit of a blending of... Uh, uh, stranger things as well so it is targeted for a young adult audience yep um so basically it's it's a fictional story based around a factual train crash that happened very close to where i live um out near samford just outside of brisbane in 1947 a train crashed on labor day uh, a number of people sadly died 16 people died a lot of people were injured and still queensland's worst ever rail disaster mm. and it occurred to me that that whole story is, is pretty much been lost to history that whole rail line used to go out from where I am at Fernie Grove, which is one of the outer suburbs of Brisbane, all the way out bushland out to a, a town called Debra. And uh, that railway line has since been pulled up and doesn't exist. And there's just a road uh, housing estate there. So where that rail line used to run, and there's an old old bat tunnel, which is the old train tunnel. Um, that's still there. There You can still go to it, but the, the rail line has since been pulled up. And, and I went exploring this one day in the bush and I, discovered all this and i started doing research about this old train line that used to run out there i kind of had this idea of the ghost train you know the forgotten train it's just a you know metaphorically it's a it's a ghost train and and then i I blended that with this concept of this really rare blood moon called a super blue blood moon which actually is a thing um it's a it's a very rare blood moon that happens only every 35 years so I, i somehow came up with this idea of blending the two themes together what would happen if this rare blood moon occurred on the anniversary of the train crash and these two significant events created this time slip and this kid goes missing, he vanishes. And so it's all about the mystery as to what happened to this boy that's vanished. And uh, and then we discover later that there's a bit of a time travel event has occurred and then it, it, it sets in place, sets in motion a whole range of kind of things to unravel this mystery. And then it it goes across different time frames. So how much actual research did you, like how, how far did you go on your research when you were, you know, I, I know I've seen on Facebook, you've been out there, a few times from what I from what you've put up. Um, so how much actual aside from just getting out there, what what kind of research did you do? I know the internet's always good, but you know, did, did you have any other sources where you, you know, go go to, you know, some of the small towns around? Yeah, so I, I kind of immersed myself by physically going to the location, get a feel for, you know, I actually stood at the location where the, the train crash occurred. There's a, a little monument on the side of the road. It's just out the front of a house now and cars are driving past, but where that road is used to be a rail line and on the sweeping bend is where the train crash occurred. So I've been there and went to the bat tunnel and, and I walked walked the bush track with it. So I really immersed myself in, in you know, that, that sort of location. But in terms of research, I did a lot of research through the Queensland State Archives and 
uh, it's amazing what historical information you can get from uh, websites like Trove, which are all the old newspapers. Yeah. And, and I've got a lot of information from, from Trove, but also the Queensland um, State Library and State Archives have got some really good information. So I just wanted to, in my first scene where I'm describing the train crash, I wanted it to be as factually accurate as possible. Yeah. And, and the retelling of the train crash is told through the eyes of, of, of actual witness statements, which I, I read. So what the passengers were experiencing when the train was out of control and, and, and when it crashed and what they saw in the chaos and so all that was I wanted to keep it factually accurate but then I created this whole fictional storyline weaved around a factual event which um, then I, I had more scope to be a little bit more creative I had to be very mindful that I wasn't going to offend anyone that was directly mm. impacted by the actual train crash and and I still say that it was done to um, to um, in memory of those people that gave the lives yeah. and in memory of the people that came to the aid and those heroes on the day. So I wanted it to be seen as a respectful account of what happened um, and also to um, bring it to the attention of people who live locally who don't know the story. So to keep the story alive. So that was kind of yeah. my main intention. And then I just came up with this whole fanciful fictional story. It's a coming of age story and, and wrapped it around. So it's one of those fictional stories linked to a factual event. Much like letters from the Emu War, just just throwing it out there. Just, 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 um, um, yeah, but look, I, I started reading it today and the prologue, I absolutely love it um, because it's that, yeah, like, you, you know, when you watch a movie and you know something's going to go wrong. Like, you're like, this is too happy. Like the, the start of it is joyful. The, the uh, you know, the, I think I can, I think I can kind of, you know, up the hill, you know, and then it's slowly just starts to go something's going wrong um so i absolutely love that prologue but then i noticed you switch to the first person in the first chapter was that an intentional thing to keep like the timeline separated or or what was the idea behind that yeah so the prologue was more of a just a a third person or kind of like a, a, narr a narrator's retelling of the crash yep and you know it's like a bird's eye view of 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 what happened so it's like if you picture a narrator telling the story about the train crash, sets the scene. And then chapter one is in the eyes of Toby McIntyre. He's the main character. And the entire story is, is told through his eyes. The first part of the book is told through his eyes as a 12-year-old in 1982 when his friend goes missing. And then it fast forwards to present day. He's a, he's a guy in his 40s and, and um, he's having still having issues because of what happened in his childhood and um it turns out another one of his friends goes missing on, on the anniversary of the train crash. And then all these things happen. And uh, and then it jumps ahead to when Toby's a, an elderly man. So it's 35-year increments, which coincides oh, with wow. the cycle of this, this moon. And then the book ends at the very beginning. So the book then ends where it started, but the chain oh. of events have changed. So it takes you it takes you on a journey through Toby's entire life, pretty much. Uh, but because of the time travel element it takes you back to where the story started but then it sends you off in a different direction and kind, kind of leaves you wondering what what if man that but i'm sorry that is a netflix show or a movie it, well, you know, that, that was <laughs> that was going to lead into the next question that i have because we we all know i like to go off the book i don't sometimes i don't even read the questions <laughs> that jamie prepared but um like yeah I, I agree with you about the end it's that's where you get the butterfly effect um kind of feel for it because you know, obviously in that movie, Ashton, Ashton Kutcher spends the whole movie trying to get back to to change things, and 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 you get that feel from the book. But in in talk, same with Toby, and obviously the the different stages of his played out in the book. If 
say, for example, Netflix came or Amazon Prime came and backed the money truck up, <laughs> who would you cast as young Toby, present-day Toby, and old man Toby? Oh, geez. Um, that's a hard one. So obviously that have to be Australian characters. Um, it's up to you. It's your call. Um, what Australian actors, yeah. I, I don't want to sound like a broken record. I love Eric Benner. I just, I love it. I loved him, yeah. I loved him in The Dry. Yeah, oh, um, that was such loved, a good movie. I loved him as Poyter. Yeah, I loved him, yeah. <laughs> I loved him in, in Troy, in, in some of his big yeah. blockbuster mm-hmm. movies. But as an Australian actor, he, uh, for me, oh, there's another, um, uh, what's his name? Oh, I can't think of his name right now. Um, he also wrote a book. Um, I'll think of it later. Um, <laughs> but no, if, off the top of my head, I'd have to say Eric Banner would be great for um, for, the, for the adult Toby, yep. maybe. Oh, I, I reckon uh, Paul Hogan now, yeah. because Toby becomes an old man. So Paul yep. Hogan now as an old man would be great yep. as Toby as an old man. As far as who would be the child actor, don't know. I don't know the names of any child actors that could <laughs> play the role. No, no, I, look, Eric Banner's fantastic. It's just, I, I will everything he does, I'll give it a go. You know, whether it's it's going to be whatever the Republic have said about it. But, yeah, he was fantastic in the dry. That was really good. And um, he was in uh, a season of a show called, um, it had come to me, it was a, like a true crime thing where he played the the father. I, uh, I forget the name of it. It was on Netflix, but he's fantastic. So I agree. I can see him in as adult Toby, 100%. And Paul Hogan, I mean, he needs the money at the moment, so throw him a bit of cash. And, you know, yeah. he's, he's fantastic, so can't go wrong there. The, the actor I was thinking of, his name is Matt Nabel. He's oh no, a, yeah, Matt Nabel, yeah. He's written a book called a novel called Still, which I really enjoyed. Yep. So he's done. He's he's probably not a household name, but I think most people, if they saw Matt Nabel, they'd know who he is. Um, mm-hmm. Real gritty Australian actor. Um, I reckon he's he's really cool. I like him. I will tell Jamie, you would know him as Raz Al Ghul from the Arrow series. Oh, right, yeah. Um, I, I first found Matt Nabel in the final winter, the whole movie that came out oh, probably about 10, 15 years ago. Um, but, yeah, he pops up now and then. I'm watching a show called Mr. Inbetween, uh, an Australian, another Australian show, and he got a pivotal part in that too. So, yeah, he's he was, awesome. He was in one of the Riddick movies. Yeah, he was too, yeah. There's some fantastic Australian actors out there. It's, uh, I mean, it's every author's dream to have you. You know, yeah. I'm very jealous of Jane Harper. She's had her <laughs> books converted, and Trent Dalton. He's getting Boy Swallows Universe produced into a series. It's been it's filmed and being filmed in Brisbane as we speak. Oh wow! So there's some fantastic Australian talent out there. Yeah, uh, we'll have to get it onto uh, our good friend Matt Holmes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he makes great movies. He just no one no one seems to want to fund him. You know, um, but he's he's brilliant at everything he does. Um, so I've noticed that you've been on a bit of a tour with this book and I noticed that you, there was a school, you went to a school and they did art about your book. Like how'd that happen? And, and tell us about that experience. Cause that's very cool. Yeah, that was excellent. Um, and I'm hoping that's going to be part of an ongoing relationship. My, my local high school, it's actually the high school where my, my three kids went to. Um, and so it's the closest school. It, it actually features a little bit, there's a reference to it in the book because my book is based in the local area, Ferner Grove, Samford. Um, and one of the teachers from the school came to my book launch and, and she was um, one, uh, she taught my kids at high school in, in art and we got talking and, um, and she said, and she read the book and loved it. And she said, there's so many really um, sort of visceral scenes that you could, that I could get my, my students to, to depict in artwork. 
Um, I'll go back and talk with the school, see if I can do it as, a, as an art project for my kids that do this special art program. So what she did was she took the book um, to the students and they all got to read a particular scene from the book. And then they then used their imagination to convert what they read and what they imagined and, and to convert that into some sort of artwork. And, and, the, and then I was invited to go to the school and talk to the students about my book. Um, and then for them to, and they were really stoked to show me what they'd drawn. I was really stoked because they, here they were doing artwork based on yeah. words that I'd written, yeah. which was really cool to see how they interpreted it. And I posted a lot of the photos on my Instagram account. So um, I urge anyone, if you're, if you're keen to can have a look, check out the Jack Ryan Instagram account. And I posted all the, all the images and some fantastic uh, imagery. Um, so I was absolutely blown away by that. So I'm, I'm really keen to, to sort of work with students a lot with those sort of ideas, whether it be writing or artwork. No, it was definitely something we, uh, you know, I feel the kids need more encouragement in. Like we need, you know, more creative people out there, more, more, you know. Um, I know I, I found a short story I wrote the other day. I was going through some old boxes and I found a, a short story. I guess it could be my very first fan fiction about X-Men and Street Sharks and Ninja Turtles or something for that I wrote when I was like 10 years old. And I'm going, this is awesome. Uh, yeah. But yeah. um, yeah, we, I, I just you know this. I, I think that what what you're doing is great because it's going to like encourage a whole lot of kids to be more creative and probably start writing their own books. Yeah, and my message to to the kids kids was I'm not an artist. When I was a kid, I used to enjoy doing uh, artwork about Battlestar Galactica when the first Battlestar Galactica <laughs> came out in the 1980s, and you yeah. couldn't record things off tv if you missed an episode you just have to imagine what happened because the kids at school told you and i'd imagine what what i missed if i missed an episode and, and i would draw mm -hmm. these spaceship battles and jewels and things and um and i said to the kids you know don't let people stifle your creativity if you feel the urge to, to draw or write don't let people discourage you if it's not seen to be the cool thing to do you know follow your passion and mm -hmm. I, I kind of think i look back at my childhood and particularly in high school i probably started to show an, an interest in writing i used to do really well at english and my short stories always were the ones selected to read out in front of the class and my my poem won a poultry competition and whatever. Mm. But then I went to the police academy and then life got in the road and, and I never <laughs> pursued it. It wasn't until mm. many years later that I had this urge to write and it, it sort of came out of me and I tried again. So my mm. message to the kids was, you know, as a writer, when you're writing, you, you the trick is to give the reader enough information that they can fill the gaps themselves with their imagination, that you're not mm. describing everything. Just give them one or two bits of information and then they will use their own imagination and that's exactly what they did when they did those uh, that artwork no i think that's a very good thing and i'd say the more the more you can get the youth away from phones and tablets and doing this kind of stuff you're laughing you know you get more creative people out there and you get more illustrators and and, and writers uh, you know obviously we've discussed in relation to combining the true is the, the true event with obviously a fictional world. Is there, is there anything else that you know that's happened in world or Australian history that you think, you know what, I'd kind of like to do? It's funny. I started thinking about it and I started doing some, because I love history and, and there's, a, there's a scene uh, in, in the book where they go to to Tawong Cemetery. And I actually spent a day walking around Tawong Cemetery. For those who know yeah. Brisbane, Tawong Cemetery, it's 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 closed now. Well, it's open, you can still, but it's not it's not an active um, cemetery anymore. It's fallen, but it's some really old graves. Yeah. And you walk around and the history is just amazing. They do ghost tours and, and a whole range of things. So mm -hmm. um, I love history. And um, after doing research about this local train crash, I also discovered that, oh, I can't remember, it was in the 1800 and something uh, in the Brisbane River, there was a ferry um, sunk. And a lot of people, this is uh, this accident where two two boats um, collided and a ferry sunk and all these people drowned in Brisbane City on the river. Oh, wow. Another story of a tragedy. And I'm thinking, hmm, maybe, you know, again, I, I really like the idea of, 
looking at a real sort of event and yeah. that's got some historical significance because you look at so many stories you, you know things like movies like um pearl harbor or um titanic mm-hmm. all these kind of movies mm-hmm. which are based on factual stories but i'm sure those characters in the movie pearl harbor were not real characters but they use those fictional characters to tell the real story yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's kind of yeah. i like that idea i like the idea of using a fictional story or fictional characters to convey something that actually happened and then you can also have that creativity to weave in your own story yeah 100 like I, I love it I, I know i know like i just watched um pride and prejudice and zombies the other day and i was a, a little bit of a different take but um uh that guy that did um abraham lincoln vampire hunter and the way he melds the two you know worlds together it's like perfect like you almost go okay that makes too much sense yeah um, yeah yeah and and they're a good <laughs> good fun watch at the same time but um yeah i'm, I'm definitely with you I, I love history and now now you're, you're gonna have me i'll probably message you every now and again going oh i just heard about this historical event that would be cool you know um but um yeah 100 i think that's awesome i know some authors that have done um retellings of the ned kelly story um there's mm. a couple of authors who are my publisher hawkeye publishing here in brisbane there's a couple of authors who have done some stories on on, on that um so again a retelling a reimagining of what what yeah. would happen if, if the story went in a different direction yeah so i, I think that's yeah. really cool yeah and it's a really good way of keeping his, australian history alive too yeah it's it's something that it's like i, I remember in school we i think we learned a little bit about ned kelly but we didn't learn much about you know australia it was more you know world war ii overseas like there's so much history in such what little time we've had you know as a country um so uh what's next for you is there is there another follow-up book to this book is is uh there anything particular you're working on at the moment um so for for the current book ghost train and scarlet moon i think i'll I'll kind of just keep that as a as a standalone i don't want to sort of diminish diminish it by trying to do a a sequel Mm -hmm. um i think i think it has enough strength as as a standalone um whereas with my crime series when i finished the angels wept my first detective jared o'connor book i felt even though i'd wrapped up that story i felt there was a lot more room to keep going with new stories and and that's where story number two came it's called the the demons woke and then book three the shadows watch has been written as well so i've now been signed by my publisher who published um the ghost train has also signed me for my three book deal so um we're going to re-release the angels wept with uh, brand new oh. book covers they're currently being designed at the moment um i've also had a, an audio book produced of the angels angels wept and we're going to uh, hopefully launch that soon uh that's a, a fantastic professional voice narrator chris miller based down in sydney he's a, a professional voice actor he's done a fantastic job with the audio book for the angels wept um so yeah so what you're going to see early next year is the angels wept which is book one of my crime series which as you said is vastly different to my young adult book and book two of my crime series called the demons woke they're both coming out early to mid year next year and then there'll be all the marketing and 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 launching Mm. of that um still just going through some final editing and final polishing of that before that that launches next year and then 
And then I'll have to focus on doing a major rewrite of book three. It's only a very rough draft at the moment, um, but the story's been been written. I've just got to go and do some editing. So at the moment, everything's about just editing existing work. Um, I don't have anything new on the go at the moment. I'm just really busy getting everything in the can that I've got on the go right now and all, yeah. all the marketing. Currently, I'm doing a lot of um, speaking events at libraries, schools, and, and that sort of thing for my current book, The Ghost Train and The Scarlet Moon. And, and I suppose I'll continue that while I'm, I've got a bit of momentum. I've got some writers' workshops that I'll be delivering at, at libraries. And uh, um, next year, I think I'll be pretty busy with my, my, my crime series. And then what comes after that? Well, I've got you know, all, all these ideas. Do I write another young adult book along, along this kind of style? Or do I you know, add to my crime series? I, I don't know yet. I, I guess I'll, I'll see what strikes me. And then I'll, I'll hook in. Once I get the bug, I'll, I'll, I'll decide what I'll do then. Cool. Well, we're, we're looking forward to it regardless. Um... Uh, so just want to tell people where they can find you, uh, buy your books, learn more about you and follow your, uh, your adventures. Yeah, probably the best starting point. Yeah, the best starting point is my website, jackroney.com.au. Uh, my publisher is Hawkeye Publishing. If you just Google Hawkeye Publishing, they're a Brisbane-based traditional publisher, a fantastic family-based um, publisher that um, supports uh, Australian authors. Um uh, the ebook is on Amazon and all the usuals, but the the paperback for the Ghost Train can be ordered through um, Hawkeye Publishing, and you get discount postage. Um, so that would be the first point. So you could probably either go to my website, or social media. I'm I'm on Instagram and Facebook, and um, yeah, so either Hawkeye or my website. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Jack. No, thanks for having me. And just one last shout out. It's all also remiss of me not to mention that. Um, my book, I know you probably would have noticed that at the beginning of every chapter are these really cool illustrations Yep. that have um, been done by um, Paul O'Sullivan. He's a professional um, illustrator. So we decided cool. to do illustrations at the beginning of each chapter. Um, some of them are just, you know, absolutely, absolutely beautiful diagrams, hand, hand sketch. That's the, you know, yeah. the moon. My favorite one is the, is the bat flying out of the tunnel. Um, well, here's an example of the old, old ticket oh. being punched. Wow. wow. Oh, here it is. Here's the here's my favorite. Um, and he, he was very limited because it was a it had to be a banner shape. Yeah. So you can see the bats flying out of the old train uh -huh. uh, disused that's train cool. tunnel. Um, so that's at the beginning of each mm. chapter. But oh, then wow. the chapters that don't have a, a specific illustration have got a picture of a train. But the train, if you start flicking through your, the book, you'll see that the train is progressively moving across the page. Page. So it looks oh. like it's one of those animated things as as you as you flick the book. The train it, at the beginning of each chapter, the train's moving across the page. So oh, cool. I, I was very lucky. I was mentored by Professor Professor Gary Crew. He's um he's a, a quite a well known author. He's, he's won numerous awards, and um he he introduced me to his his um illustrator, and I was able to collaborate with him, and and um he brought to life a lot of my scenes by writing these amazing illustrations. So we've been able to pitch this as a as a graphic novel. So that's how this kind of morphed into a young adult book that we've had. We've got illustrations. It's, you know, it's be beautifully drawn that represents the scene. And he would just say, look, what, what do you want this to, to represent? And I'd tell him and describe it. And I'd say, you know, yeah. we'd, we'd go through the scene and he'd just come up with this amazing image. So, um, yeah, I think that kind of adds an extra dimension to the book. So it's, yeah. it's important that I give Paul O'Sullivan a, a big shout out for the work that he's done. Well, definitely. Uh, no, I, I, I love, I, I must say, like, ever since I was a kid, I, anytime I open up a book and there's a picture, I get, I get excited. I mean, I don't want it all to be pictures, but I get that, you know, you know, it's a little, little insight. Um, but yeah, they are, thank you so much for coming on. And um, 
Ryan, do you want to have any final thoughts? <laughs> buy, buy his books. Yes. Buy his books, please. Um, I'm, a, I'm a staunch, staunch Jack Roney supporter since I read the first book and then I made sure I pre-ordered the second book. Um, I have them, as I said before, I have them both on digital and physical copy and 100%. we need to support our Aussie authors. So please jump onto his website, get on publishing, tell them how much you love the book and we'll get hopefully we'll get many, many more books from, from Jack in the future. Yeah, that's the plan. <laughs> and with that note, thanks guys for listening and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>